Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love. I am not here with J.D. Greer. I am here with a clip from one of J.D.'s sermons um, that is going to be really helpful. I'm really excited. You guys know that sometimes we pull great answers to questions from J.D.'s sermons when he says something really helpful that's been beneficial to the people of the Summit Church. Uh, We feel like it would be helpful to a lot of you as well. So today we have a question that I know a lot of churches are wrestling with, including the Summit, which is how do we build ethnic unity into our churches? Um, And in this sermon, J.D. talks about some of the things that stand in the way of ethnic unity. So here's Pastor J.D. answering the question, what stands in the way of ethnic unity? What obstacles stand in the way at the Summit Church in particular of ethnic unity? First of all, number one, Satan. The next several chapters of Ephesians are all about the demonic powers and how they're aligned against the church. Y'all, Satan hates this kind of unity, especially in the church. Because this is the demonstration of the gospel. This is what gets the attention of the world. So he hates it. So you can be doggone for sure that he's gonna be opposing it this week. Let me tell you how he might do this with some of you. He's gonna suggest to you that it's just too hard. I've had that a number of times. I'm saying, you know what? This is good, but it's just not. It's just too hard. It's just too hard. For others of you, he's gonna whisper into some of your ears this week that this is all about politics. Even though I have said literally nothing about politics, he's gonna say it and you're gonna believe him. So I just need you to be aware of who your enemy is and I need you to resist that satanic voice. Number two, pride. Whenever we talk about this, what makes it really difficult is it cuts us down to the core of our pride. Let me quote John Piper here. Racial tensions are rife with pride. The pride of white supremacy, the pride of black power, the pride of intellectual analysis, the pride of anti-intellectual scorn, The pride of loud verbal attacks and protests. The pride of despising silence. The pride that feels secure and the pride that masks fear. Where pride holds sway, there is no hope for the kind of listening and patience and understanding and openness to correction that mature relationships require. Or to say it much more simply, let me quote the black preacher Tony Evans. We got skin issues because we got sin issues. So beware where your own personal pride is gonna kick into gear. Church unity, Paul says, grows out of the soil of humility and there is no other way. Number three, preference. Our cultural preferences, hear me, they're not wrong. And no one should ever tell you they're wrong. And anybody that's ever told you that, if you've interpreted something I've said that means that, I was, I, I was not telling you correctly. It, it's not wrong. We all have cultural preferences and they certainly apply to worship. It's just sometimes for the sake of unity, we set them aside to help somebody else feel more comfortable. In fact, just about any time Paul talks about food in the Bible, you can apply what he says to music in the church. I told you earlier this year that I'm sometimes blown away by the different kinds of people Then I look around and see on a Sunday morning when I go to different ones of our campuses or I look around at one campus and see, we got a lot of you, I told you, that have raised Southern Baptist. You come in here your first few weeks, you're wearing a suit and tie because that's just how you grew up. You look around, you're like Crocs and flip-flops. That's what's going on here. I'm not doing that anymore. 
That you come in, you, you, you come in, you, you sing. When we start singing, that chest goes out. You love bellowing out, especially those hymns. You got a Bible like eight inches thick under your, you know, under your arm and you're coming in. When it's time for the message, you take out your notebook, you're writing stuff down. You let out these punctuated, you know, staccato amen, amen, amen. Every Southern Baptist church has the random amen guy. You know what I'm talking about? The one, thank you. Even the guy who, even the guy who says stuff when it doesn't apply, you're like deacons meeting at four o'clock. Amen. You're like, I'm not, I don't even know what you mean by that, but that's just what you do in a sermon, right? That's different. I've told you from some of our black members, some of whom came out of churches where they'll come in first few weeks. They'll be talking back to me in full sentences, not staccato amens, but sentences with nouns and verb clauses and questions that I'm like, am I supposed to stop and answer that question? Is this like, it's more like a dialogue. Me and you are both preaching right now. I, I, I love it, but you, you know, you're like, that's, it's, it's a certain kind of person that's sitting in the church. And I told you, I contrast that with our Korean members who, I mean, they're some of my favorite worshipers. I was watching a row full of them one time at Briar Creek, the Briar Creek campus. And I told you, they weren't singing the songs. They were shouting the worship songs. I mean, they're stomping their feet and pointing at heaven. And I was like, somebody's gonna get hurt during worship. But then I told you that the sermon started and, and they say nothing. I mean, nothing. Just quiet to the point that I was depressed and I asked one of them, I'm like, do, do I, am, is something wrong? Am I preaching bad stuff? Do I not connect with you? Am I talking too fast? And I told you the guy, you know, one of the guys was like, no, we love your preaching. It's just in our culture, when somebody else is up talking, it's very disrespectful for you to make any sounds while that person is talking because it distracts other people. Told you we got a summit member who serves as a missionary in Tokyo. And he told me, he said, if you look at the faces of Japanese believers in worship, they're very expressive. But everything they do in worship is in a whisper. He said, when I asked them why, they're like, well, because we want to express our hearts to God by our emotions, but we also don't want to distract others from doing the same. Now, contrast that with some of our members, some of you guys who stretch before you come into church, because if you ain't sweating, you ain't praising, right? <laughs> and I hadn't even gotten to you know, a bunch of y'all in our church who just don't know what you're doing. In fact, we love it, and we are watching you, and you should make you self-conscious, but just so you know. <laughs> there's this progression. You come into church, all people lift their hands in here, and so Tim Hawkins says this. You, 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 the first thing you do is you, they're up right here. This is the, 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 kind of the chicken wing, the elbow flap, that like, oh, they're getting it. Then you shift where you're carrying the TV, then it's a big screen TV, then you're the mime in a box, you know? <laughs> then you just go straight through the progression of, um, you, know, you know, village people, Rocky, touchdown. That's kind of the, the way that you're going. I had a friend in, uh, here who told me she was a newer Christian and she came to me after church a few weeks ago. I've been watching progressively. She works, has worked her way from the back down to the, the front up here. And it's like, a, it's like a visual demonstration of her sanctification as she makes her way clear. clear. And she's like, she's like, is it normal for, for a pagan who becomes a Christian for their arms to be really tired? My arms are tired. Is that normal? Like, is it, you have to, like, is there a workout program to help you worship in church? I said, I don't know. Maybe there needs to be one. And by the way, I haven't even brought up our Hispanic brothers and sisters. I go down there sometimes when our services are over and y'all, they're not even through the first song yet. And I'm torn between my urge to worship and to dance along with the beat. Their music inexplicably makes your hips start moving. And my wife is like, stop it, stop it. You keep those hips in place. Stay in your lane, stay in your lane. Now, a few months ago when I went through that list, I asked you now, which one of those worship styles is God's favorite? And the answer is, amen, amen. Let me just say this. In order for you to be a part of a multi-ethnic church, 
You're gonna have to be willing to be uncomfortable sometimes with people who are not doing things your way. Paul says in the church, we put the needs and the interests of others before ourselves. Why wouldn't that apply to worship? In fact, Vance Pittman, who was here a few weeks ago, said the way that you can know that you're part of a truly multi-ethnic church is that you often feel uncomfortable. He said, if you are, are, are saying you're part of a multi-ethnic church and you don't feel uncomfortable, then you might be part of a multicolored church, but you're not part of a multicultural one. What you've got is a bunch of different colored people, people with different colored faces who've all coming in and they're learning to do things only your way. People sometimes say to me like, well, I don't like it when we do that in worship. And I always wanna say, well, maybe this whole thing is not about what you like. If you wanna be somewhere where it's all about you, go pay $800 a night at the Ritz-Carlton and it will be all entirely exclusively about you. But this church is not about you, it's about the glory of Jesus and the urgency of the Great Commission. And so when you come in here, that's what you should expect this place to be about. Number four, naivete. One of the things that my friends of color tell me is that many of us in the majority culture don't think we have a culture. Other people have cultures. Ours is the standard against which all other cultures are measured. Or sometimes we refer to other people as like having ethnicity and we do it without the slightest sense of irony. I, um, I should not tell you this, but I was part of a, um, it was a, a conference not too long ago. I'm not gonna tell you any more about it than just that, except for this part. And, um, and, he, and, and so I'm up there and you know, on the little screen, the little monitor, there was four or five of us that were speaking. Everybody at this conference was white. And they had one spot and it said ethnic moment. And a black guy walked up and did something. And I thought, first of all, that is like the most socially awkward thing I've ever seen that he's standing there and it says ethnic moment. Secondly, as if we don't have an ethnicity, as if white and Caucasian is not its own ethnicity, of course it is. Bottom line is we think that other people have cultural particularities, but we don't. Ours is a standard by which all the others are judged. Y'all, I hate to burst your bubble. But white Caucasian is an ethnicity and it has its own cultural perspective. We've got our own very unique, particular, sometimes confusing views to others about conflict resolution and romance and parenting and child rearing and money and dress and music and time and respectfulness and family and so many other things. There are other perspectives on these things. And that's okay. It genuinely is okay. Some cultural perspectives are just different. Janetta Oni, who's one of our black female leaders here, she told me, she said, I do not know what it is with you white people and casseroles. <laughs> it's like your answer to anybody who's hurting about anything, just give them a casserole. <laughs> and she said, for me, it's just five ingredients awkwardly stuffed together and baked at 360 for an hour. <laughs> Why you think, she says, that, that, that sweet Caroline is what everybody wants to hear at every wedding. I don't understand that. She said, you let me know when swag surfing is coming on. That's when I want to get out on the dance floor. Some perspectives are just different. Some are wrong. Every culture, including ours, including those around us, every culture has weaknesses and blind spots that make that culture particularly susceptible to certain errors. Some cultural perspectives are right. Just like each of our cultural histories have made us blind to certain things, our cultural histories have also made us more aware of certain aspects of God's truth. So some are different, some are right, some are wrong. The least we can do is work hard to understand the cultural perspectives that we're all bringing into this place, which brings me to the fifth obstacle, poor listening skills. For a lot of, how many when I said that, you just thought about somebody else? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. All right, for a lot of us, 
When it comes to discussion like these, our poor listening skills really begin to display themselves. The writer James in the Bible tells us that we ought to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And y'all, if there were ever a context in which to apply that verse, it is this context. Notice James says, there is a place for you to speak. He says, be slow to speak. That doesn't mean never speak. It just means that you listen far more than you talk. Now, that raises questions that we need to ask ourselves. When it comes to talking about this stuff, do you seek to understand more than you seek to be understood? After the discussion is over, are you back in your, you know, in your house, laying on your bed, thinking about all the things that you should have said that would have helped them understand what you were saying? Or are you thinking about, did I really understand what they were saying? And did I feel that? And did I communicate that to them? Because that's what James is telling you to do. Another way of saying that is, could you repeat somebody's position back to them in a way that they would not only agree with, but say that you really understood them and you might've just said it better than they said it themselves? Because Paul's saying the gospel is gonna teach us to do that. I'll make this very, very personal. In fact, maybe this is too transparent, but I'll just, I got very racially offended one time. Need a little afternoon snack, so I pulled into the drive-thru at Hardee's, which is where you eat when you don't care about your health or your weight. And so <laughs> I wanted a Frisco burger, and I, I counted the change, and I had just enough for a Frisco burger, Jehovah Jireh. And so I pull into the, into the, into the dry, the thing and saw, you know, I pull up the, the window, who pays for, not only change, but cash, nobody uses cash, nobody uses cash, I got a handful of change. There's a black lady at the, young lady at the window and she's got my Frisco burger and she holds out, she sees I have change, she holds out her hand for it. So I have my change and I start to hand it out the window to her. And as I do, I feel, because it's a bunch of nickels and dimes and pennies, I can feel it dropping out of my hand. So now it's gonna fall down on the ground, which is gonna, be, be, and I'm not gonna have enough money, you know? And so I just, she has her hand out. I go past her hand, because I think I'm gonna drop it and just put it on the counter, like as fast as I can, because I was afraid like, you know, it was gonna drop everywhere. She bowed up, because she thought that I was refusing to touch her. And she went off on me about this, and, and I was so, I mean, I was like, no, 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 I was just trying to, you know, and it was over, it was done. I came back here to the church, and I, one of our black pastors, I was like, no, nah, and I started telling the story, I'm like, see, you know, going through life with chip on her shoulder and thinking everything, you know, and he said, he said, listen, I understand. He goes, I know that's very frustrating for you, I know that hurt, I know that offends you for her to think that that's what you would be like, that, you know, that you wouldn't touch her. He said, she, that girl needs to understand that not every white person thinks of her that way. He said, but you need to understand that she reacts that way because probably at some point she was treated that way by a white person. And when you both understand that in that conversation, then you'll probably be able to have the conversations that will move both of you toward peace. Here's the question. What if we had a church where people sought to listen to and understand each other like that? Where we gave each other the benefit of the doubt in situations like that where we say, yes, I, I, I do wanna make clear what I'm trying to say and what I mean and don't mean, but I also wanna understand why you are approaching that question the way you're approaching it. And I at least wanna understand kind of where it is. That was what was missing in my interaction with that, that lady, both on her part and my part. This was utter unawareness. It's like Albert Tate, the black pastor, always says, it's really hard for me to love somebody when I'm so busy defending myself. Or M. Scott Peck, the Christian, the psychologist who became a Christian later in his life famously said to listen to somebody 
To listen to somebody is to love them. And before you come back at them with a solution or a reason why their pain is illegitimate, to at least validate it and sit with them in it, that's what love is. Some of us are not very good at that. I'm not. Again, in case you, I went through that too fast, you want to write it down. Albert Tate, a black pastor, said it this way. It's hard for me to love when I'm so busy trying to defend myself. Some of we don't want to be a church that preaches eloquent sermons, that folks focus so much on this relationship vertical that we neglect the pain of each other here. Paul tells us that the gospel compels us to bear each other's burdens, and that starts with listening to each other. Here's number six. Here's the final one. Ignorance of our history. Many of us, particularly in the majority culture, have proven woefully ignorant of how the racial situation in our country came to be where it is. We barely understand what things like the Jim Crow laws were or what kind of societal disparities they created. You might know the concept of the Jim Crow law, but you probably couldn't name one. Out of love for our neighbors, some of us ought to just read a book or take a tour of a civil rights museum on one of your vacations. Read a book, for example, like The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. Some of it may make great summer reading for you. Let me be very clear what I don't mean. I do not mean that we embrace some kind of revisionist approach to history like the 1619 Project or adopt CRT approaches to politics or education. Those approaches are often as worldly and problematic as what they're trying to correct. So that is not what I'm suggesting here. I'm just saying don't let the existence of other revisionist histories keep you from reading things that would challenge your own revisionist view of history. You know, of all people, Christians should be willing to embrace the truth about the depravity of our ancestors, about our society. I mean, of all people, we should understand that good politics can't produce a nation. We should understand that people, the best of the people, still have so much corruption and depravity. It should not surprise or offend us that our ancestors were depraved sinners. That means we ought to be able to acknowledge the truth when it comes to things like the history of the church. I mean, for example, just about every black denomination in our country, the AME Zionist, the, the, the National Baptist Convention, Christian Methodist Episcopal, all the, they were, almost all of them were started because white people refused to allow blacks in church or in places of influence in the church. Many of Dr. King's biggest opponents in trying to get the Jim Crow laws abolished were Baptist, Presbyterian, and Anglican pastors. The whole Southern Baptist Convention was started in 1845 because Baptists wanted the ability to appoint slaveholders as pastors and missionaries. You don't think that affects the present? We are suffering today because of the sins of our ancestors. We're not guilty of those sins, necessarily. We're not guilty of those sins, but we suffer them because God visits the sins to the third and fourth generation. Like we've seen, it just has consequences. And let me quote my friend David Platt here for a minute. Are we responsible for the sins of previous generations? No, we are not. Are we responsible for knowing the history of racism in America? For understanding how it's enshrined in the places around us? For recognizing how it influences people in our country? And are we responsible making sure that we do not repeat or preserve the harmful effects of the past, especially in the church? Yes, we are responsible for that, David says. And for most of my life, I have not stewarded that responsibility as I should. You ought to listen to somebody to love them. And let me add, listening, I want to make this clear. Listening doesn't mean that all perspectives are equally right. That would be insane to say that. All cultures, all of them have wrong assumptions. They've got moral blind spots. One of the values, in fact, I think it's one of the reasons God does it, 
of being in relationship is you can point out those blind spots to each other in the right context, in relationship. Some of my cultural assumptions may make me blind to injustices happening around me that I've grown comfortable with because they don't affect me directly. Other people in my life point those out to me. On the other side, we should never be okay with the wickedness of killing unborn life in the womb or naive to the destructiveness of the sexual revolution in our society, the loss of religious liberties in this country or the killing of unborn life, those are not white evangelical concerns. Those are people concerns. Those are Christian concerns. And we need to be willing to listen to each other and stand against unrighteousness wherever we see it, whether or not those particular concerns of righteousness or unrighteousness are usually associated with our tribe or not. It's like I said, in here, we don't identify primarily with the elephant or the donkey, but with the lamb and the book that he wrote. And we know that lamb is on the side of all things justice. All right, well, that was good. I hope you guys enjoyed that clip. And obviously, if you want more sermons from Pastor JD, you can go to summitchurch.com or you can go to jdgrow.com. And both of those will give you uh, access to all of JD's sermons, all the sermons at the summit. And uh, jdgrow.com also has other great resources, podcasts, articles, blogs. I don't know if blogs or articles are different, but stuff JD's written, books, all that good stuff uh, can be found at jdgrow.com. And then also follow him on social media. And then as always, please leave a rating and a review just so other people can find the podcast. If you like it, chances are someone else will as well. And those ratings and reviews help other people find it. So go ahead and do that real quick. It'll take... 20 seconds and we would really appreciate it and we'll see you next time on ask me anything